This podcast covers all things health, your body, your brain, and your well-being. Each week, we'll be joined by doctors, as well as the occasional guest, to talk about the health topics that mean the most to you. First question is, do you ever see patients who experience inner tremors? Can you address what this might be all about? And I would say, yes, we can address what this is all about. We see a lot of patients with a variety of different tremors, and inner tremors are something that have a specific clinical understanding for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the internal tremors can be a number of things. It could be anxiety. It could be an autoimmune response to your thyroid. It could be hyperthyroidism. It could be something like a pheochromocytoma, which is where your adrenal gland has a tumor on it, and it makes too many adrenal hormones. So all of those are possibilities for the internal tremors. We frequently see it with autoimmune thyroid disease, but we see a lot of patients with that. So that's kind of our take on it. And anxiety. We see yeah, a lot exactly. of anxiety. Those are the right. two things. Uh, I would go to those two things first. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. But yes. Uh, can you have fibromyalgia? This is a great question uh, because it's kind of fibro- the understanding of fibromyalgia. Can you have fibromyalgia, not have irritable bowel syndrome, and not hurt when someone hugs you or touches you? Great question. The understanding of what a fibromyalgia is continues to evolve. Uh, and and uh, we've stayed on top of that. Dr. Gates has done continued to stay on top of the research. So um, I think this is uh, an interesting question to answer for people who are confused. Yeah. Like me. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so with fibromyalgia, we had the 1990 criteria by the American College of Rheumatology. And that criteria set forth that if you have tenderness at a certain number of the trigger points, 11 out of the 18, 9 out of the 18, basically, then you had fibromyalgia. Typically, it was 11 out of the 18. And then you had other associated symptoms of brain fog and fatigue. Whereas the new criteria, the 2010 American College of Rheumatology criteria that came out, and it's predicated on not having the trigger points. So you don't have to be what's termed allodynic. Allodynia constitutes pain with a normally non-painful stimulus. So like somebody giving you a hug. So you don't have to have that pain response when somebody gives you a hug. And you don't necessarily have to have IBS either in order to be diagnosed with fibromyalgia. Now, it can't be another condition that's causing the pain. It can be associated with other pain conditions though. But you have widespread pain. So pain in many areas of your body, there's a way to document that. You have other disabling symptoms of fatigue and brain fog, and the fatigue and brain fog have to be severe enough to be above a certain score level for you to be diagnosed with fibromyalgia. So it's really more predicated on widespread pain, fatigue, and brain fog. And then it also factors in other associated symptoms like IBS. But you don't have to have IBS. You don't have to have trigger points to have fibromyalgia. Yeah, you can have other gut problems, like I have celiac. Right. Or you could just have non-celiac gluten sensitivity and and or you could have leaky gut and food sensitivities. So there generally does seem to be a gut issue involved, but it doesn't necessarily have to be IBS. And that hasn't, I don't think that's been fully vetted in the classification symptoms. Yeah, it's not systems. as much the, the focus. And in the yeah. classification, they also talk about depression and comorbid depression, comorbid headaches, comorbid IBS. But look up the 2010 American College of Rheumatology criteria. Okay, so this is an interesting next question. Um, how do you treat slow COMT? And so I'm assuming only the people who know what COMT is will be interested in this question. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure how many people that will be, but uh, CMT is uh, COMT. Patients have like severe sensitivity to 
stress and anxiety sound like things uh, they might and they might from from having overreactive uh, mm-hmm. neurotransmitters and right. stuff like that. anyway um so the COMT can you we have and you treat slow COMT <laughs> i know the answer so we did a whole broadcast on genetics and depression last week depression and anxiety i believe and in that broadcast we did talk about COMT just for those of you who don't know what that is catecholaminergotransferase it's an enzyme in your brain that breaks down norepinephrine, dopamine, and epinephrine. And so it's discussed as having some importance relative to anxiety because those neurotransmitters have more of an effect with kind of arousing the brain and having some involvement with anxiety responses. It's way more complicated than that, but I'm just being general here. And so the thought process is, and there is research coming out now showing that those who have a COMT polymorphism, so if your COMT enzyme is not working correctly because genetically you didn't get the right copies of your DNA to make it, then a person may be more predisposed to anxiety because they're building up these neurotransmitters that excite the brain and maybe overexcite the brain to a point of anxiety. How we treat it, uh, we treat it from a number of, of directions. Uh, you can go back and watch our depression anxiety broadcast. We did. We do frontal lobe rehab. We do all. Let me say it this way: we address all factors in a human's physiology that could screw up a frontal lobe frontal lobe function. So that would be anything from your gut bacteria to your B vitamin processing to obesity to inflammatory mediators to hormones being off to chronic stress to autoimmune problems. Now, once all that's addressed, then we look to see how the individual's frontal lobes are functioning, how their anxiety is is improving or not improving. What I've seen with COMT patients is that they have to be incredibly mindful as to what they're doing. Typically, the patients that we see who have the COMT polymorphisms tend to overexcite themselves. They tend to be adrenaline junkies. And these adrenaline junkies lots of times will have these highs and then they'll burn themselves out and they'll have the lows. And so living a more tranquil life, having a more tranquil existence, using certain supplements to calm down fear-based responses that are more GABAergic in their mechanism, that's how we treat. That's how we manage the COMT issue. Okay. It's one of the more complex issues. Yeah. And as we discussed last week, not saying it like that to you, but just for the listeners, um, when you have a case of depression or anxiety that hasn't responded to medications, is not responding to supplementation protocols either. Yeah. Usually there's something complicated going on in the genetics. That's where we run the genome test. And that's where we found a lot of these abnormalities, either COMT, abnormalities in dopamine receptors, uh, not able to make serotonin, not able to have the transmembrane protein, I think it's SLC or SCL something, uh, for SSRIs to work on. There's usually some element of that as to why a person's not responding in our experience. So. Genomine is spelled G-E-N-O-M-I-N-D. Mm-hmm. And it's a good tool, but as Dr. Gates said, you usually have to address all of the physiology. Uh, okay. I have syncope. Fatigue, loss of appetite, and fast heart rate. And the doctor told me I have syncope, nothing specific, not specific. I was wondering, could it be POTS? Mm-hmm. It could be. It uh, could be. Yeah, it? I mean, yeah. yeah, it's hard to say. Yeah. Hard to say without looking at all your records. Have you seen a cardiologist? Have you had a full workup? Because a lot of cardiac issues can kind of present that way. And now, if all of that's been ruled out, uh, POTS would be at the top of the differential diagnosis list. One of the best ways to diagnose POTS that's cheap and easy is to take your heart rate when you first wake up. You're laying in bed. You haven't moved out of bed yet. You haven't sat up. 
you're laying down, take your heart rate. 10 minutes after you're up and moving around, brushing your teeth, doing what you do, then take your heart rate again and create a log over two weeks and see if your heart rate goes up more than 30 points when you're doing that. That's a good way to just kind of uh, cheaply diagnose POTS. You can also do the tilt table, which is the gold standard, which is usually done in the cardiology office or some sort of uh, specialized neurology facility. So the answer is yes, it could be, but it re really requires a lot more investigation. So we have a lot of people come in here with syncope from, for a lot of different reasons. Mm -hmm. um, I like your videos, but not much info about the herbs and supplements. Oh, we just gave you some data on the genome mind test. <laughs> really, it's, it's tough. It's it's a tough one. So I mean, everybody's looking for that solution because you've been conditioned that way. You've been marketed to. So everybody's telling you the leaky gut solution or the thyroid solution or this protocol or that protocol. There's a voluminous amount of books now out there saying this is how you do it. Even Dr. Krosian's book. Why do I still have thyroid symptoms when my lab tests are normal? He's talking about a variety of supplementation protocols, but he's doing that to illustrate the complexity of it. But a lot of people take from that, well, this is what I should do. And we were doing all that stuff eight years ago plus, and we've deviated pretty significantly from a lot of those protocols because that's just how clinical practice is and that's just how these models are. And 10 years from now, we're going to be doing things that are different from what we're doing now that we think are great. But the point is, is that it's complicated. So to give you a supplement or an herb, we could do that, but I don't think it's going to really produce fruitful results because that's a pharmaceutical, nutraceutical-based model, which is not a functional medicine model. The functional medicine model is to get to the underlying cause of the problem, whether that be your chronic stress hormones, whether that be some sort of gastrointestinal issue, not just to say, oh, everybody out there should take our berberine with B12 in it, or everybody should take our ashwagandha with holy basil in it. That's already out there. So if that's what you want, go get it. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about systems. We're talking about getting to the underlying cause. I don't know if you want to impart anything else on that. Yeah, at, at the risk of, uh, as our producer said, turning this into a podcast. But I just have noticed lately, I do all the intakes. And, and over the years, we've gone from people coming in here with no understanding that diet or herbs or botanicals could po possibly change their uh, physiology as drastically as it can and uh, be attacked for recommending herbs and, <laughs> and, and, and uh, supplements. This is over oh, 10 years or more ago. Now, interestingly, most of the patients that come in here are already on <clears throat> the paleo diet. Now people are getting onto the ketogenic diet. Uh, there's some other ones now that are, that are coming out and they all have value. Um, most people have tried berberine. Most people no, there's a, such a thing as a leaky gut. Hashimoto's is no more, when I say that, autoimmune attack on your thyroid is no more like, my endocrinologist says you're crazy. Now they say, oh no, I have that. So it's a whole different world. And the point is, most of the patients coming in now have already tried all these supplements. The point being that there's a, everybody that comes <coughs> in is different. We just did a, uh, we just did one of our uh, questions was on fibromyalgia. Uh, and, and you could have a hundred different fibromyalgia patients come in here and it can be a hundred different things with maybe a slightly to drastically different supplementation protocol, less supplementation is more targeted supplementation is better. And the way you get that is to do an evaluation. We do an extensive history. It's like 20 pages long. And it actually is very, very valuable tool towards that. Dr. Gates just talked about the COMPT. Not everybody has all of those 
uh, uh, all of those uh, aspects of what is driving their brain enzymes to not be able to, to do their job. So that's why we don't do that because there is no, usually there's no silver bullet and we're, we don't want to sell, we don't even want to sell people one vitamin bottle that they're not going to be able to use. So we actually will test people. I give them a couple of supplements first to make sure they're not sensitive to them because most of the patients that we see and probably most of the patients watching our videos um, have autoimmune problems, which makes your system more sensitive. Maybe your liver is not, you know, maybe your liver face pathways are not working in sync just the way they should be. Now you're sensitive to everything. So that was a little of a long question, but it's also a question that our producer gets like a lot. <laughs> So I thought I would go a little bit more into that. So it's not that we don't want to give you the secret. The reality is, is there, there's not a secret. There is a paradigm. There is an understanding of chronic pain. There isn't a logarithm that we use. But within the framework of that logarithm, everybody is different. Less supplements or more, you know, it's no silver bullet shooting in the dark. So that's why we don't give you treatment programs for fibromyalgia. What Dr. Gates just said about COM. T is the closest I have ever heard us get to giving a treatment protocol for any condition. And, and, and as you can see, it's, it's, uh, it, it, it would take a lot of evaluation to determine which one of those contributing factors are there for each patient, because it's not all the same. That's maybe overrunning the process there, but, but uh, that is a question that I know that, uh, that Kevin has told us that we get a lot. Um, IBS. Next question. Uh, irritable bowel syndrome. How is this a brain issue? When sometimes, uh, when in times of stress, I will get symptoms. Then sometimes when I'm calm, I get symptoms. I can see the confusion there. Um, and, but it is a brain issue. When, when, when the medical community starts calling it a brain issue, starts calling it irritable brain syndrome, you know it's a brain issue because relative to the alternative world, they're usually like 10 years behind the times on mm -hmm. this stuff. But why don't you explain that? Uh, in essence, with uh, IBS, a lot of the literature is focused on what's wrong in the gut. And we know certain things are wrong in the gut, from gut bacterial imbalances to leaky gut to food reactions to bacterial food reactions, which is separate from just an immune response to a food, to sensitivity of the gut to expansion. So Dr. Rutherford, for example, could eat a bolus of food. A bolus is just think like a, a rock of food. Eat that bolus and it passes through your intestine versus an IBS patient. When you do that, then that bolus is going through and they have exquisite sensitivity. They feel like a football is going through. It's called nociceptive sensitivity. Now, the brain they were finding is the underlying factor behind a lot of this because researchers went in and tried to address the gut bacterial issues and change the foods and change the food sensitivity and the stretch sensitivity, and they get some results, but it never seems to resolve the issue because they find that the brain is the underlying driving factor for all of the, it's, it's termed autonomic dysfunction in the gut. So you have a fight-flight response and a rest and digest response that's always driving signals to your intestines. And a lot of that is influenced by how the brain is sending signals down your spinal cord to this autonomic nervous system. So how could you be stressed sometimes and it bother your gut and then not stress at other times your gut is still bothered? Well, it's multifactorial. So when you're stressed, certainly your probably your nociceptive sensitivity is going to increase. So meaning stretch is going to 
increase your likelihood of having pain. So if you eat something, could have been totally benign, innocuous, good on your diet, and it's going to cause a problem versus that maybe you're not stressed and you ate some food that you're sensitive to, or you ate a high FODMAP food, or you ate another food that's going to cause a bacterial reaction. And that's going to create symptoms just as well. So that's the explanation as to how you can have a reaction sometimes when you're stressed versus when you're not stressed. Yeah. And most of our patients, frankly, are like in a chronic sympathetic thumbs, a chronic fight flight syndrome, chronic post-traumatic stress syndrome. So the reality is, is a lot of people will sit in the, in the consult and say, I'm really not stressed at this point in time. But your system is still putting out stress responses due to maybe some emotional trauma or maybe just to the fact that you've been sick for a long time and you're getting worse and nobody knows what's wrong with you. So, so you may not, you know, so, so that can also compromise you so that you, maybe you're not feeling pain or irritable bowel syndrome type symptoms. But, uh, but, but, but or I'm, that was a mistake. But you'll feel the irritable bowel uh, symptoms <coughs> even though you're sitting there and you, you're not mentally stressed, but, but your physiology is stressed. And that can be evaluated by um, a, a, neuro, a good neurological exam to tell you whether that is indeed the case, whether you're in that fight-flight response or not. Um, it's funny, I did, and this is an aside, I was saying to uh, Kevin this morning, um, it's interesting, but I, I listened to Dr. Sanjay Gupta's little couple of minutes. Sometimes I'm pretty sure he's listening to us, but this time he, he went over again, the 10 causes of cancer, the 10 top causes. You know what they never, ever, ever say as a, as a cause of cancer? Oh. Stress. Uh-huh. They never, gastroparesis stress. And uh, we should do one on this. We're, we're talking about uh, doing one on doctors attacking our patients for getting better, that we're going to do one on that. <laughs> but we should do one on that too. So last one. This sounds like it's either from a personal trainer or maybe another chiropractic neurologist <laughs> wondering if pre-workout powder supplements that are filled with caffeine and other stimulants, like the ones that bodybuilders use, that's what the question says, can possibly lead to cerebellar fatigue, causing sim symptoms similar to vestibular disorders that can cause true vertigo, followed by residual symptoms of dizziness, disequilibrium, fullness, pressure, congestion to the ear. These are fairly classic cerebellar symptoms, okay? Could these, could these supplements also cause permanent damage? It's really hard to say what's going on there in terms of what exactly is in your pre-workout. My initial guess is, are you reacting to an artificial sweetener? We see that a lot. Uh, there's even a condition called sham MS that's talked about associated with certain artificial sweeteners. So that would be my guess as to what's going on if you're having those neurological reactions. Clearly, I got to say, go to your doctor and get an evaluation to make sure you don't have something else going on where you think it's a pre-workout, but it's actually another condition. We see that all the time. But if in the absence of other pathology, then I would say, look at the artificial sweeteners. Yeah. And yeah, in the absence of other pathology, because a lot of our patients have what's called low metabolic capacities. So they're already got a problem. Maybe they're, maybe they're in chronic stress. Maybe they got an autoimmune problem. Maybe they got irritable bowel, any of the things we talked about here today. And then they go out and they exceed their metabolic capacity by, by bombing out a, uh, a heavy workout. And, and then they will get symptoms of the area of their physiology that's not working well, or maybe they just get crashed from like just a mitochondrial crash because they just exceeded their body's ability to make energy. So, so that those are cerebellar 
symptoms. So yeah, but it, you could also have frontal lobe symptoms, or you could also just have a, a general crash, or you could exacerbate your irritable bowel you know, syndrome or something like that. So I think that would be more the way to look at it uh, in total. And like Dr. Gates says, if all that's not there, then um, then I would listen to what he said, because he's a weight bodybuilding weightlifter. <laughs> <laughs> the only other factor I would think of is that in these pre-workouts, they have a lot of stimulants. And so if you already have anxiety, perhaps the stimulants are inducing some anxiety that's causing dizziness because go. anxiety is the most common cause of dizziness. So that's another potential factor. Which goes all the way back to why we don't talk about herbs and botanicals and supplements, because as you notice, there are so many different factors to each different condition that we addressed. So those are the questions for today. And uh, we need to hop off to work now and do some, some patient care. So we. So this is important. You want to know how to get better. Now, there's going to be some nuggets in here that are going to help some of you. There's going to be some of you are like, you know, throwing spitballs <laughs> at, your, at your screen going, wow, this guy's like an idiot. But I'm telling you, these are the basics of how to get better. And if you bypass these, plus the ones we're going to be talking about over the next week or two, you are going to have a hard time getting better at all. And if you get better, you're going, to have, you're going to be the person who has to keep doing it over and over and over again because there are things that are Sabbath. So wrap up this week's presentation. And, and um, I'm here to educate you. We're here to try to answer the questions that we've had over the last you know, six or seven years or eight years or whatever it's been. And, um, and so please do that. So until next week. Uh, I hope you, uh, if you're, if you're enjoying this, then, then, you know, please don't miss next week. Next week is kind of a big, big deal in most people's, uh, uh, journey to wellness. So, okay, that's it for this week. Thank you for watching again and, uh, take care. This will conclude the episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you.